Okay. So we're going to be discussing the Lord's Supper today, guys. Just how important it is. Uh, what the Bible has to say about it. Um, this is going to be a little bit different than usual. More Certain parts of it is going to be more like a Bible study that, rather than a sermon. And But I think what we'll do is uh, the text that we're going to be in today is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you'll turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read this text and then we will come back to it towards the end and, and walk through it real briefly. And then again, we will take the Lord's Supper immediately following. So you guys have been so wonderful and standing for the reading of God's Word. Would you mind doing it one more time? And remember, that's always if you're able, right? I mean, if you have a reason why you couldn't, then obviously there's grace with that. But we just do that because we want to honor God's Word. It's so dishonored in our land. And so, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 23 through 32. Verses 23 through 32. Uh, let me get to the right. I was in 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> Verse 23 For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. You guys can sit down. Father, we thank you, Lord, once again, for uh, giving us this day, Lord, that we can gather in your name. We thank You for the freedoms that we have to still gather with no fears of persecution. And Lord, may we not take that for granted. Father, we, we ask You to meet with us today through the presence of Your Spirit, Lord. May You instruct our hearts, not only in what Your Word says, Lord, but in how we can apply it to our lives. We thank You and praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is significant, this passage we just read and in the passage of Matthew, um, that Jesus was gathering with His disciples in the upper room to have a Passover meal. This was His last night with His disciples before the, uh, the cross. The cross was on the horizon. I mentioned this earlier, but Jesus would go on in this night, this is a this was a gathering for a Passover meal, but, but because of who He was, He would literally transform this, the Passover meal of the Old Covenant into the Lord's Supper of the New Covenant. Let me, uh, 
I read the passage in, in Exodus. And I think this is helpful. This is just a real brief uh, couple paragraphs from Ligonier Ministries really just summarizing what we read in Exodus. Because it's good to have a, a good understanding of how these two ordinances are so closely related. Passover was established when God rescued His people from the Egyptian slavery. That's what we read about. After nine plagues did not move the Pharaoh to let the Israelites go, the Almighty sent one final plague that provoked the king of Egypt to relent temporarily and free the Israelites. This plague, the death of all Egypt's firstborn sons, gave only a short window in which to escape. Thus, the meal preceding it had to be something that could be eaten in haste. Unleavened bread was essential to the Passover as the people had no time to wait for the dough to rise if they were to get away. The blood of the Passover lamb was also a part of the feast. Though the people did not consume the blood, they did spread it on their doorposts so that the angel of the Lord would pass over their households. In doing so, the Israelites marked themselves off as God's people saved from His wrath. You see the connection? God saw the blood and His the death angel passed over. They were saved. They were safe from the wrath of God because of the blood. And that sounds very familiar, does it not? This was the last Passover to be observed. Not the last Passover that has been observed because faithful Jews, when I say faithful Jews who have rejected the Messiah, they still practice it regularly. But this was the last Passover ever to be observed that was divinely sanctioned. No Passover celebrated after that, after that night has been authorized or even recognized by God. Why would that be? Well, to celebrate the Passover is to celebrate the shadow. You know, we talk about things in the Old Testament that point to Christ. All of these typologies that point to Christ. This is one of them. So to celebrate the Passover is just to celebrate the shadow. The shadow, you know, I can see my shadow right here. There's my shadow, but the shadow, that's not me. This is the reality. That's a shadow. And so, to celebrate Passover is to celebrate the shadow. The shadow of the reality who is Christ. Who has come in the flesh. The spotless Lamb of God that was applied to the doorpost was a shadow. A picture. Pointing to, as John the Baptist said in John 1.29, obviously John the Baptist, being an Old Testament prophet, knew the Old Testament. Behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. He has come in the flesh. This one that all of the Old Testament was pointing to. He is here. He is the spotless Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. So the Passover that we read about, it was a real, it was an actual, historical, and glorious event, no doubt, that the Jews were to remember when God in a mighty, powerful way delivered the nation of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. 
And how did He do it? Via the means of the blood of the Lamb, which was applied to the doorposts. It really did happen, and they really were delivered from physical bondage and slavery to the Egyptians. But it was all a picture or a shadow of what what it is that we are to remember. As we take the Lord's Supper today, here today, what are we remembering? That we have been delivered from bondage, just like they were, but we have been delivered from the bondage of sin, right? Sin, death, and hell. Through the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb, our King, Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to remember as we take the Lord's Supper. And obviously, I think all of you know that this is true. This applies only to those who have partook of Christ spiritually through repentance and faith. We remember the One who has saved us. We remember the One who shed His blood, right? That Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So that's what we are doing when we come together to take the Lord's Supper. Remembering the true Lamb, not the shadow. And so before we look at our text in 1 Corinthians 11, which we'll do in a little while, I want to have a short history lesson on the Lord's Supper. Again, it's, it's, much of it's more like a Bible study. But it will help us, it'll help us as a church, maybe those in our church as well as, as visitors to understand where we stand as a church in regards to the Lord's Supper. Because there are differing views. Much more could be said not only from history, but about the actual supper itself. But I think that uh, some of this information that we look at today will be helpful. And if, uh, if it can be helpful, then praise God. So we're going to look at four views of the Lord's Supper down through church history. Okay, the first one is called transubstantiation. So if you guys have heard of that, transubstantiation. This is what would be, uh, which would be what the Roman Catholic Church holds to. Okay, so with respect to the Roman Catholic theology of the Eucharist, now the Eucharist just means that, that phrase in the Greek just means giving of thanks, okay? Uh, the Christian ceremony, the Eucharist means the Christian ceremony commemorating the Lord's Supper. But when we hear that word now, it's usually associated with the Roman Catholic Church and the Mass. But with respect to the Catholic theology of the Eucharist, the view of the presence of Christ, okay, whose body and blood are truly contained in the sacrament. That that's, that's literally transformed into His body and His blood under the forms of the bread and wine. This, this bread is transubstantiated or changed, that's what it means, into the body and the wine into the blood by the power of God through the priest. And if you think that's kind of creepy, it is. If you think that's kind of heretical, it is. And it was the fourth Lateran Council of 1215 that this was made the official view of the Roman Catholic Church. And so obviously we know that's true. Christ's resurrected body is in heaven right now. And this is uh, crackers and wine and juice. So it doesn't physically, literally turn into the body and blood of Christ. The second one is con substantiation. With respect to the Lutheran theology of the Lord's Supper, the doctrine also called the sacramental union, that Christ is 
this is maybe even a little more, in a sense, even a little more odd, that Christ is truly and completely present in the sacrament. Specifically, the body of Christ is present in, with, and under the substance of the bread. The same is true of the blood of Christ and the wine. Jesus' words, this is my body, are understood literally. And Christ sitting at the right hand of God means that He is present everywhere. Thus, Christ is in heaven and His body and blood are in the Lord's Supper at the same time. So, so literally it means alongside the real bread and the real wine, there is the real body and blood of Jesus. Again, it's an odd view. It's actually something that Martin Luther held. So Martin Luther had a lot right, but he was off in this area. And then the, 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 the second two views would be what you would call the orthodox views. The third one would be the memorial view, which would probably be what most people in our culture, when you think of maybe just traditional Baptist churches, most people would hold to the memorial view. And, and so we'll go through these next two views. Uh, the memorial view with respect to the Lord's Supper, the position that the emphasis of this ordinance is on remembering what Christ accomplished on the cross. And that is true, right? Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. The view is usually identified with Holdrick Zwingli. He was a Swiss reformer at the same time of Luther. And these guys that were used by God mightily in the Reformation could not stand each other because of their opposing views on the Lord's Supper. I can't remember which one said about the other one, that they're not even a believer because of their differing views. <laughs> I heard you, Paul. <laughs> but, uh, so, this view is usually identified with Zwingli, who interpreted Jesus' words, this is my body, figuratively to be, this signifies my body. He further underscored Jesus' following words, do this in remembrance of me, concluding that the bread is a symbol of Christ's body, to remind Christians that His body was crucified for them. As a memorial of Christ's crucifixion, the Lord's Supper requires faith. And so lastly, uh, uh, because I would say all of that's true. Okay, this, The last view we're going to look at, I mean, would say this memorial view is true, but the last view we're going to look at called the spiritual presence of Christ takes it a little further. It's a little more, maybe a little more beneficial to us than we realize. But, but lastly, I'll say about that memorial view is it's, and I think this is where it might fall short. And this is what most people, they, they just pretty much stop here. But a memorial is kind of like a tombstone, right? In a cemetery, it reminds us of something or someone. So this last view we're going to look at, similar to the memorial view, but maybe we'll see that maybe the Lord's Supper, we can find more benefit in it in it than we realize. Is it really just a tombstone? Is that all it is? Or is it something a little more? The, the last view is called the, the spiritual presence of Christ. And I've really learned a lot about this the last couple of years to, uh, to really gain a better, just a, better, a more of a love and appreciation for when we take the Lord's Supper. So hopefully I can uh, make some of this clear in your minds. So the spiritual presence of Christ, with respect to the celebration of the Lord's Supper, the position that Christ is spiritually present. 
Okay, not physically, spiritually. The bread and the wine are symbols, okay, just like the memorial view said, but not empty symbols, not like a tombstone. Okay? Oh, and this, this, this view was held by John Calvin, the French reformer, pastored in Geneva, Switzerland. And you know what? I forgot to um, bring the confession of faith. Um, yeah, will you, go, will you go run and get it? Because it's really important. I was going to read a passage or two out there that's really important. They're back in that room. So this position... This position opposes real presence views like the Roman Catholic view and the, and the consubstantiation. So it opposes these, the, 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 the view that Christ is physically present in the, in the bread and the wine. And, but it goes beyond the memorial view emphasizing, simply emphasizing a remembrance of a tombstone. Okay, The spiritual presence of Christ was really emphasized by John Calvin, the next great reformer after uh, Luther and Zwingli. Calvin said this, By this means, God provides first for our ignorance and dullness, then for our weakness. He condescends to lead us to Himself, even by these earthly elements, and to set before us, thank you, to set before us in the flesh a mirror of spiritual blessings. I'll try to break this down further. Okay. In other words, Calvin's saying, God, He knows that we're weak, right? And we need all the help we can get. And so He condescends. God condescends to give us visible, a visible picture of what Christ has done to us. Okay, that's, that's kind of what He's saying. But I'll, I'll say more about it. Um, Calvin rejected any magical force in the, in the sacraments, but emphasized the power of the Spirit in them. He recognized the Lord's Supper as a means of grace. We talk about that word, means of grace, and we'll talk about it a little more today. But he recognized the Lord's Supper as a means of grace, which God uses for the bolstering of our faith. Okay, this view, the spiritual presence of Christ, is what I would say our church holds to. That's, that's what the confession holds to. I agree with it. That's what I, that's what I hold to as I study it more. Um, obviously, we believe it's a memorial, right? We're do, we are doing it in remembrance. But I believe it has more of a spiritual significance than simply a memorial and more of a spiritual significance than I have um, thought in the past. So I'm going to start out, I'm going to read a couple different things, but in, in the London Baptist Confession, chapter 30, verse 7, I'm going to read something, then we're going to look at a scripture real quickly. It says this, Worthy recipients who outwardly partake of the visible elements in this ordinance also by faith inwardly receive and feed on Christ. Okay? Spiritually, guys, not physically. Feed on Christ crucified and all the benefits of His death. They do so really and truly, yet not physically and bodily, but spiritually. The body and blood of Christ are not present, bodily or physically, in the ordinance, but spiritually to the faith of believers, just as the elements themselves are present to their outward senses. 
In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, you don't have to turn there, although it's just, uh, actually it's just a chapter over to your left from where we're at. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says this, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Okay, that word sharing, that's key. I'm reading out the New American Standard. That word sharing in the Greek, koinonia, it, it means this, guys. Communion. That's where we get the word communion. That we're going to take communion. It means sharing, communion, fellowship of, or if you have the ESV, I know it says participation in. That's what the word means. And it is significant to understand this, this spiritual presence view. So I'm going to read that again. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing, right, or, or a participation in, a communion in, a fellowship of, in the blood of Christ, and is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Now I'm going to go ahead and read uh, the next four verses, or, or five verses, 17 through 21, and then make, we're going to make the connection. And I think it will help us understand the spiritual presence view more. Since there is one bread, verse 17, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? That's the same word. Partake, sharers. What do I mean then? The thing that a thing sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers, that's that same word, in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake, that's the same word, or share of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. So he's making a connection here. He is making a connection here. This, this word, sharing, koinia, having a fellowship with, there's something going on spiritually. I'm, I'm going to... Let me read this um, quote. This is a book that I just recently read on the Lord's Supper. It's, it's by a, a pastor named J. Ryan Davidson, who is a Reformed Baptist pastor in Virginia. The book was called A Covenant Feast. He says this about, this about this passage here. What is Paul doing? He is saying that those who partake, that's that word, partake, sharing, fellowship with, that those who partake of pagan sacrifices, they eat the real physical food, but are participants. Okay? They're participants in spiritual things. Likewise then, or, or likewise, those who come to the table eat the real physical food, but are spiritual participants in the accomplished benefits of Christ. In other words, beloved, in the same way that if a Christian participated in, in, in what Paul was talking about here and some kind of uh, just ungodly, demonic feast, that there's something going on spiritually in a bad way that they're participating in. In the same way, 
that I was really unaware of for many years. And Paul is saying, when we are partaking of Christ spiritually, when we come, obviously when we come in a worthy manner, right, worthy manner, first, and I'll speak more of that lately, when we're born again, we're truly Christians, and we come in faith, we realize the significance of what it is that we are remembering. This is, we're, we are being reminded that Christ's body was butchered on the cross for us, and that His blood was shed. And so Paul is saying, we are partaking of that. We are benefiting spiritually. It's not just, oh yeah, I remember, it's like a tombstone, yeah, Christ died, Christ died for me. That's part of it. But I think this view really enables us to benefit from the Lord's Supper the way the Bible's talking about. We are partaking in it spiritually. And then one other thing about that view is from Sam Waldron, who uh, his exposition of, of the confession, of that paragraph that I just read, he says the same thing, in order to obtain the benefit of the Lord's Supper. That's what it's talking about. To truly obtain the benefit of taking the Lord's Supper we must partake of it outwardly, right? But also by faith, okay? We must believe that the elements really do represent the Savior and that by taking them as, as symbols of Him, again, not dead symbols, just like just a memorial, just a tombstone, I really like that. <clears throat> but, um, but by taking them as symbols by faith, we do appropriate for ourselves the benefits of His work. The, the physical presence of the elements to our senses is a special assistance to God's people. That's what Calvin was saying. It's a special assistance to God's people in making real to them Christ's body and blood, the purchase of our redemption. Thus, they, they make Christ's body present, not bodily, but spiritually to the eyes of faith. Now, I know that was a lot, but hopefully you can understand that this is a special thing we do to partake of the Lord's Supper, guys. And we come with our hearts prepared. And, and, and in some way, guys, the Lord benefits us when we come and truly do it by faith. And then, um, so really what, what, the, what the confession was saying... Um, Again, which was heavily influenced by, by Calvin's writings and what, what all this was saying that, that I read. Um, I think what it's all getting at is, is what Sam Waldron is saying, that last thing I just read, that, that the Lord's Supper is, is, is what Calvin called it. It's a means of grace. It's, God, it's God's gift to us. A means of grace. Uh, by, by that, we're not saying that that by the use of these means we will attain grace. Not we're not earning anything, but that God has given us gifts. The three outward means of grace that we usually refer to is, is the word when it's preached, right? And, and the Lord's Supper and, and baptism. When we when we see somebody baptized, again, we see it's a means of grace to remind us of the significance that this person that's going under the water. Died, died to their old man. Their old man died with Christ, and they're raised to walk in newness of life. And so these are these are gifts given to us by Lord, by our Lord, not to just be taken in a ritualistic manner. Because if we do that, we're not taking it in a worthy manner. And so, 
So you've heard the words, uh, just real briefly, you've heard, you've heard the words sacraments and ordinance. It's really talking about the same thing. It's really just kind of what tradition you come from. Uh, but they mean the same thing. Uh, Augustine defines sacrament generally as an outward and visible sign of an invisible and yet genuine grace. And, and the two sacraments that we hold to, that the Bible teaches, is baptism and the Lord's Supper. Ordinance, it's the same thing. A rite ordained by Christ to be celebrated by His church using tangible sign or signs. Christ ordained Christian baptism. He ordained the Lord's Supper. So just when you hear those phrases, that's what they are, uh, that's what they are meaning. And so now, if you'll turn to, if you're there still, we're going to turn to our text in 1 Corinthians 11 and walk through this real quickly. And when we get to the end of it, we will be taking the Lord's Supper together. So that text I read to start out with, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23. And we're just going to, we're just going to go through, uh, or no, we're going to, yeah, we're going to go through all those verses, 23 through 32. But, Beloved, trust me, it's not going to take long. I know usually when we go through a couple of verses, it takes all day. But this will go quickly. Just look at four points real briefly. Uh, the first point is in verse 23 through 25, that we are doing it, the Lord's Supper, in remembrance of Him. Right? It says it very clearly in the text. Verse 23 through 25, For I receive from the Lord... That which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which He was betrayed and took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, He took the cup also after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. So the bread that once represented the exodus that we read about, right? Now has come to represent Christ's body. And the cup that represented the lamb's blood as they, as they partook of the Passover meal, remembering the Passover, it represented the lamb's blood which was smeared on the doorpost and the lentils in Egypt. Now has come to mean what? The blood of the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. And we know that there's only forgiveness through the blood of Christ. When Christ shed His blood on the cross to redeem those who would come to Him by faith and put their trust in Him and be willing to repent of their sin. The old covenant was ratified or made valid repeatedly by the blood of animals offered by men. But the new covenant has been made valid once for all, right? Once for all by the blood of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 through 12, we can see this. <clears throat> In Hebrews 10, verses 10 through 12, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So when the Roman Catholic Church assumes that they sacrificed Christ all over again, that is blasphemy in the eyes of God. It's a once for all sacrifice. 
Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. They were all a picture pointing to the Lamb of God. But He, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, He now sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God one time on the cross. Amen? And what did He say upon the cross? It is finished. And that's what it means by Him after His resurrection, rising from the dead, ascending to the right hand of His Father, He sat down. Because His work is done. It's a one-time sacrifice. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through Him. And He has told us how we come. We come through repentance and faith. Humbling ourselves, recognizing that we are sinners, that we have broken His law, that we are under His judgment, and that He is our only way of escape. So the Scripture warns, how should we escape the wrath of God if we neglect such a great salvation. So obviously, none of this means anything if you have not come to Christ through faith. If you have not bowed your knee and trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins, not only does this supper not mean anything, but it's not for you. It's for believers only. I'll mention that. Speak to that in a moment. But uh, this covenant is new in that it is It is the saving covenant which all the Old Testament shadows pointed to. In remembrance of me. It's a memorial or a a commemoration. It's, it's It's not closing our eyes and trying to remember in that sense. You know, just trying to remember. Rather, the elements are a visual reminder of what they signify. The broken body. The shed blood of Jesus Christ. And then verse 26, point number two, we proclaim His death until He comes. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. You know what we do? Beloved, and our church is small, right? But you think of it, especially the more people that would be able to see it, it's a gospel proclamation. What we're doing, we are proclaiming His death until He comes, until until He returns to this earth. We are to do this. It doesn't tell us how often to do it, but we are to do it as often as we do it in remembrance of Him. And when we do it, we are proclaiming Him, right? That Christ died on the cross. That He bore our sins in His body on the tree. That He shed His blood. That Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? So that, and it's all, it's also all an anticipation. We're, see, this is Christ's table. Christ is the one who instituted this. And He says, come to my table and do this in remembrance of me. And there's also another supper that we're anticipating, right? The marriage supper of the Lamb. So it's anticipation of His return. I hope that you anticipate His return. I do. Somebody who would not anticipate His return but dread His return... Oh, I would warn you to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. But this supper that we partake of, we are, it is a gospel through and through. Christ's body, His blood, His return. Come to Him. If you're not a believer, don't come to the table. Come to Christ first. And then come 
to his table. Hebrews 9 now. Uh, Hebrews 9, 25-28 says this, Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with the blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now... Once, at the consummation of the ages, He has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having offered once, man, doesn't it say that a lot in Hebrews? Once. One time sacrifice. He has been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time for the salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await Him. We need to be eagerly awaiting our Lord. We looked at a few weeks ago, right? God rescued us from this present evil age, guys. And one day, He's going to come back. And for those who are alive at that time, He will physically rescue you if you know Him. So verse 27, point number three. Point number three, warning, the table is not open to all. You know, there's some churches you go in and they just say, yeah, come up, come and do it. Do it, do it at home. Do it by the swimming pool. Eat some chips and coke. That's no different. It's not for all, guys. We have to take the Word of God seriously. And in verse 27 and 1 Corinthians 11, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. An unworthy manner. We'll talk about that for a minute. Um, but in the, in the confession that I just read, it speaks to that in the very next paragraph. It says this, All ignorant and ungodly people, got to remember this is written in the uh, 1600s, that just, that's a way of saying all unbelievers. Okay? All ignorant and ungodly people are unfit to enjoy communion with Christ, and are thus unworthy of the Lord's table. As long as they remain in this condition, they cannot partake of these holy mysteries or be admitted to the Lord's table without committing a great sin against Christ. All those who receive the supper unworthily are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord, eating and drinking judgment on themselves. Ephesians 4.18, that's where they get the language, ignorant, ungodly. Ephesians 4.18 Talking about uh, somebody who is not in Christ, it, it, it describes them as being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. So those are not insulting terms. That's just what the Scripture says is the condition. And so obviously, first of all, to take it in an unworthy manner, first of all, it would mean not a believer. Okay. So again, if, if you have not... Come to Christ by faith, and I would just please in love say, the supper is not for you. It's more of an invitation for you to come to Christ. Okay? Um, so, but, but for a, even for a believer, we could take it in an unworthy manner, guys, and I think it's really simple. I think it's really simple. If, if we were going to come to the table, even as a believer, right? If, I mean, if you're living in unrepentant sin, guys, right? 
If you're living in unrepentant sin, and you would know that, then, then get things right with Christ before you come to the Lord's Supper. Okay? If you were, you know, if you're if you were visiting our church and maybe you were coming from another church and you were not in good standing, maybe, with your other church, get those things right before you do something that is sinful in God's eyes. Um, but even even as a as a believer, maybe those things aren't true, but maybe we just come to the Lord's Supper really flippantly. We're not really we're not really recognizing that this is this is a picture of Christ's body that was broken, his blood. So we, we come by faith, we come reverently. Okay, that, that, that's what it means in a, to come in an unworthy manner. When it says when it says in verse twenty seven, shall be guilty of the body and blood of Christ. That's what it's talking about. We're not recognizing that these represent His body and blood, okay? That's what that's talking about. And understand this, guys. This is not what it's saying. It's not saying those who are unworthy shouldn't come. Guys, we're all unworthy, are we not? We're all unworthy to take this supper. So that's not what it's saying. No, it's saying don't come in an unworthy manner. And so, you got to understand, Paul and the Word of God... It's not trying to keep people from the Lord's Supper. It's just making sure we do it in the right way and honor the Lord. Okay? So I will say uh, for our visitors here, if you know Christ today, and, and these things, you, you know, we're to examine our own hearts like the Word says, but if you know Christ, and you're following Him as your Lord and Savior, um, you know, and I would say this, and I would say this, I, I would add this, um, if you are following Jesus Christ, you've put your faith in Him and, and you've been baptized as a believer because that's the first step of obedience. Then you're welcome to come. You don't have to be a member in our church. And obviously that would be for you to examine your heart because I just, I welcome you to come and that goes for our people too, to come and take the Lord's Supper but benefit from it, okay? Benefit from it. And so in closing, guys, and I, and I kind of spoke to it already, but but just the uh, just the idea again, because it's important. What does it look like to come in a worthy manner? And so we're going to finish real quickly, and then we're going to I'll give some instructions, and we are going to take the supper together. So remembering Christ and humble, repentant faith, verses twenty four through twenty six. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the supper, saying, This is the cup. Of, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So remembering Christ in humble, repentant faith. Verse 28. But a man must examine himself, right? That's for each of us to do. I don't know your heart. But, but we're to humbly and honestly examine ourselves. Thirdly, I mentioned this. Discern the body of Christ. Verse 29. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself. If he does not judge the body rightly. 
Discern the body rightly. Discern, it's the body of Christ. Discern in the body of Christ to appreciate by faith, right, the holy symbolism and spiritual significance of the supper. It's taking it serious, guys. That's all it is. Taking it serious. It's not coming to the Lord's Supper flippantly. That, that's really, it's just getting down to that, making it that simple. And so, with that being said, uh, lastly, uh, sub point number four, as far as coming in a worthy manner, verse 31, but if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Because it says if we don't do it in a, in a godly or in a, in a in a worthy manner, then we could be under the the chastisement of God, the discipline of God. And so to avoid that, let's judge ourselves first. Hope that makes sense. Passing judgment, in other words, if we if we see ourselves, if our hearts aren't right, then just repent. Repent, right? Repent. Get your heart right. Remember what these things mean. And, and come and feast on Christ spiritually. So if we truly believe that the supper, this is the last, last thing I'll say, if we truly believe that the supper symbolizes the Lord's death and partake of it, mindful of that reality, guys, we, we're taking it in a worthy manner. Right? We're taking it in a worthy manner. It's a matter of seeing the Lord's table for what it is and coming humbly before Christ. And so with that being said, guys, uh, just a little bit of instruction. So we will start, uh, Rachel and Shiloh will start over here. We'll just come this way. Not many of us, it won't take long. I will um, have you come up and get, do we have any instructions on here? Okay, so it's all juice. Sometimes we have wine and juice because people have different preferences. So the juice is over here. Bread's over here. It is it is gluten free because that's important in our day. And so I'll have y'all I'll have y'all have you guys come up and get the elements, go back to your seat, and then we will go through verses twenty three through twenty five. I will read it and pray together and we will take it together. Okay? So Shiloh and Rachel can come up first.